Kondo mentioned we're starting a new series, and the series is entitled Fierce Jesus. I love the subtitle. He wasn't always nice. Yes, that's Kondo's creation, of course. He's good at those kinds of things. Fierce Jesus. I doubt if anybody in this room has ever been in a Christmas series at a church called Fierce Jesus. But uh, we, we, we like to look at Scripture and make sure that we understand the depth of truth about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know many of you, all of us at least to some degree, when we think of the, the baby in the manger, you know, we kind of have this very uh, standard picture of who he is. You know, often the paintings or the pictures or the murals of Jesus, the little baby in the manger, has a, has a halo, you know. Um, there's a star right above the manger. Uh, even the barn animals are smiling, where if there's music, their tails are wagging and beat to the music. I mean, you know, just this kind of very incredible, sweet picture of the birth of Jesus is something you know, many of us remember from birth. We maybe had that picture in our own nursery during Christmas time or Sunday school or, or whatever it might be. But what we want to do over the next three weeks, me this week and then kind of the next couple of weeks, is to look at that baby in the manger and understand that um, he could get really passionate and at times righteously angry about things that were upsetting to him. And so I think it's important as we think about even this kind of, this type of season, this time of season, the Christmas season, that yes, he came, we call that the incarnation. Somebody, some of you know that, the in flesh, that's what the word incarnation, where God the Son who was eternal, who dwelt in heaven from eternity past with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, entered humanity as a helpless human, as a helpless baby, still fully God, but fully man. And I think that picture is a, is a good picture. It's an accurate picture, but it's not really a complete picture of who our Savior was as he walked on the earth. Yes, we think about the crucifixion. Yes, we think about the healings. Yes, we think about the resurrection for sure. But what we want to do over these next couple of weeks is point out several different places in the Gospels where we see Jesus, this, this baby, call out sin in a very strong and passionate way. So the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. But before we go there, we're going to, many of you know, good Bible study means what is the context of a passage. I think it's really key to look at the last few verses in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46, to get a context. And what we're going to see together this morning as we look at fierce Jesus, he wasn't always nice, is how he dealt with, on numerous occasions, with the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Okay? So Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to begin by reading verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? 
For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Verse 46, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus didn't have a mic, but that was like a boom, mic drop time, right? And what's so interesting is, as we'll see as we jump right into chapter 23 in a moment, is, you know, from time to time, if you've studied the Gospels, I hope you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the four Gospels in the New Testament of our Bibles. You know, these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders, they hated him. And that hatred just continued to grow and grow and grow because often he would um, embarrass them. Often he would say things that pointed out their sin, their arrogance, their pompous nature, their control that they had over the multitudes. I can remember reading one of my favorite books, you know, that I read many, many years ago, probably close to 30 years ago, was a book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Some of you may know that book, incredible book. And one of the things he talks about in that book that I loved a great illustration that he used is he says, you know, Jesus is the curve breaker. I can use that with a bunch of students. Um, think about a test that you've taken in the past or maybe a paper, and the teacher stands up and says, first of all, before you know what your grade is, before I tell you, I am so disappointed with this class. Because the average grade was a 51 out of 100. And you're like, oh, no. And so in the olden days, they used to actually hand papers back. Some of you remember that. You know, always, let's turn it over. But you'd always be saying, huh, I wonder what you got. And so maybe you got a 52. You know, you get your paper back, and you're like, okay, what'd you get? What'd you get? 47. What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? You're like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. Because, of course, this prof's going to grade on the curve. In other words, if a 92 was an A and the average grade was a 50, oh, how about a 75 being an A or an 82 being an A? And that's what some teachers do and some profs do, unless somebody got a 99. That is the curve breaker. What do you want to do to the curve breaker? The, who becomes the most hated person in the school. And the prof might, this happened to me in seminary when I, when I took Hebrew. The prof may actually say, because somebody in this class, and everybody knew who it was, got a 99, there is no curve. Your grade is your grade. Jesus, R.C. Sproul says, was the curve breaker for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. His perfection, the fact that he was God in flesh, fully perfect, who spoke perfect truth, his very presence in their midst revealed their sin and their pride and the oppression that they had placed upon the people. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus... You know, on this occasion in, in Matthew chapter 22, the verses I just read, Jesus just says, okay, you guys are that brilliant? Let me ask you a question. Who's got the answer? Silence. So the thing is, 
The scene doesn't end here. I love this. It's almost like Jesus says, okay, nobody leave. Nobody leave. Now that I have your attention, let's go on. So look at verse 1 of chapter 23. It says, and Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not, I love this, practice what they preach. Yes, that is in the Bible. Practice what you preach. Jesus said that. And I, I read that and I'm like, that's such a good translation and that's not even the message. I mean, you know, that is the NIV. They do not practice what they preach. And so what we're going to see together, and and, and I'll share this in just a moment, what we're going to see together are three characteristics of these religious leaders that Jesus rebukes. And I will share with you, this passage has been so convicting to me personally that these are three characters you and I can have as well. These are, are just not unique to the religious leaders of Christ's day that he ministered and walked on earth, the Pharisees and the scribes. These can be true of us, my friends. And that first word is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. When Jesus talks about you sit in Moses' seat, that was a term that was used for being the authoritative teachers of Israel. Yes, you sit in Moses' seat. You have authority because your role in this community, in this greater uh, Jewish community, is to reveal the truth God gave us through the Torah, through what we would call the Old Testament. And yet they were, on one hand, scholars of that, and some of the things that they would teach would be accurate, But what Jesus focuses in on is you can know a lot and not do it. You can know a lot of truth and not walk in that truth at all. You can not practice what you preach. Is that true with all of us? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, when, I, when I think about this, I think about how God's given me this wonderful opportunity over four decades I've been a, a Christian to be a student of the Word of God. And there have been times that I look at my own life and see how, false, how far short I fall of, of being like Jesus in, in every area of my life. I really do. And I think, you know, maybe if I knew less, I wouldn't have to practice this so much or I wouldn't be as accountable. That is ridiculous thinking, by the way. But it's like, I wonder, and I've even said this to the Lord. Okay, Lord, how much of what I know do I live out? 50%, and he goes, eh, 40%, eh, 30%, and eh. I said, okay, we're done. We're done. Thank you. I get it. I get it. Because there is so much we know about how to live a godly life. Is this true of you? And we're not there. We're just not there. Whether it's in our own behavior, whether it's with our words, whether it's how we relate to other people, whether it's in our own thought life. Now, let me tell you, I want to define hypocrisy for you, but I want to first define what it is not, because this is really important. Because this this accusation of, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites, 
has been said millions of times probably. That's one of the people's greatest excuses why they don't go to church, go to church or don't believe in Christianity or whatever. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, let me tell you what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not just striving to live a godly life, but failing because you're a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Hypocrisy is not just you blow it. You get angry. You get impatient. You say things that you wish you had never said. You treat people in ways that you feel very badly about. Because, my friends, we're all on this thing called our our journey with Jesus. Theologians call it sanctification. I am becoming more and more like Christ. Hypocrisy is not blowing it on occasion or falling short of Christ's high standard for our lives. That's just normal. That's just being on a journey with Jesus. And we blow it. And it's very often, I I hope you pay attention of those times in your life where you kind of have a repeating sin in your life, or it's like, why is it when I'm in this situation, I always do this? I'm always angry, or I always say something very sarcastic, or I always try to put people in their place. What's going on? Lord, can you help me in this area? Can you help me grow in this area? That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has to do with a motive that says, I want you to believe something about me that's not true, but I want you to think it is especially something spiritual, something godly. If you look at the root word hypocrite, it basically means to play a part. It's the term for the actor, okay? So this whole idea of when you are acting is you're trying to get people to believe things about you that aren't really true. So a hypocrite is one who has as their motivation as the very heart of why they are doing what they're doing to create an impression that is not true, that is not sincere, we might say. And so when Jesus tells these religious leaders, you don't practice what you preach. You don't live what you know. And you do that intentionally. You do that to create a facade, to create an image, to appear better and more spiritual. That's your motivation. That, my friends, is hypocrisy. Now, are we ever guilty of that? Oh, I certainly can be and am. And I don't want to be. And you probably don't want to be either, but we can be that way. Yes, we are on a journey. Yes, we blow it. And we need to ask forgiveness, whether it's to the Lord or to those whom we've offended. You know, one of the things I often think about, a a good end-of-the-year discipline and practice for me, late December into the new year, is to say, am I better in some of these areas on December 31st of 2019 than I was on December 31st of 2018? Have I made some progress Lord, you know, one of my goals was to be more disciplined with my time in the Word. You know, one of my goals was to spend more time with family. You know, one of my goals was to really get involved in serving in the church because I really haven't done that for a couple years. I mean, there are things that we can say, Lord, here's things I want to do that we can look back at the end of the year. That's, that's a good thing to do and say, have I made progress? Have I made progress? 
You see, that way you're not beating yourself up all the time. You're saying, well, boy, there's a lot more that needs to change in my life, but I'm making progress. Thank you, Lord. I give you, I give you glory for that. I give you praise for that because I'm making progress. That is not hypocrisy. Jesus condemns hypocrisy here. You know, it's interesting. We don't have time to do this, but I would encourage you uh, to look at verses of this chapter, Matthew 23. Look at verses 13 to 33 sometime. Don't necessarily need to read this Christmas Eve because it's the seven woes against the Pharisees and the scribes. It's pretty like smackdown, you know, that Jesus does there. And it's interesting. Seven times he says, woe unto you, hypocrites, hypocrites. That's what he says to them very strongly. Five times he calls them blind guides. What does he mean by that? You're leading the people astray. And we're going to pick up on that in a moment. And one time, my favorite, is he calls them a brood of vipers. It's not really my favorite. I'm kidding. But it's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, that's fierce Jesus. When we talk about fierce Jesus, that's what we mean. There are things that were profoundly upsetting to Jesus. And hypocrisy is one, my friends, that we see in these religious leaders. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep moving. Let's look at verse 4. Jesus goes on to say, They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The scribes, let me just give you who the scribes were. The scribes were the scholars. That's the best way to describe them. They were the scholars of the Old Testament. They devo- devoted their lives to the study of the scriptures that the Jews had. The Pharisees were more kind of a political slash religious group who I think, because as as I've read the New Testament, I think that the Pharisees had very much as their goal was to take all of these additional rules and regulations and rituals that had been added to the law of Moses. You know, the scriptures talk about circumcision, but they added a whole lot of Uh, conditions to it. The the scriptures talk about offerings and sacrifices and keeping the Sabbath and, and all of these kinds of things. And they created all these additional practices that needed to be adhered to by the people. The Pharisees were the enforcers. The Pharisees were the police. That's why as you read the Gospels, Jesus would be with his disciples. They're in a field. They're pulling some heads of grain and wheat. And it's like the Pharisees pop up and say, busted. That's what they did. They were the enforcers. They enforced the rules and regulations that had been added to the interpretation of Scripture. That's what they did. And so Jesus um, basically says, Your whole approach is to oppress. Your whole approach is not to extend grace. You have no compassion. And so the word that comes to my mind as I think about this characteristic that our Lord is rebuking is superiority. Superiority. I am your judge. I am here to evaluate and condemn you. I am here to police your life. Superiority. Elitism is what they were guilty of. They used people for their own accumulation of power, is what they did. 
Here's a phrase. You can jot this down if you take notes. Here's a phrase I thought of this week. A user leader is a loser leader. I think I make that into a bumper sticker. A user leader is a loser leader. Why do I say that? Because, and some of you probably have had people who've, who've been over you, whether it's a job or, or even a parent or somebody in your life who just uses you, has no respect for you, does not value you, they use you. And that's so much what these Pharisees were like. They were using the people and they were elite and they were superior in their own minds of them. And did you see what Jesus said? He basically said, you oppress these people. You put these, um, th- these weights upon them and weigh them down. Jesus had a very different approach. Some of you know this passage. It's one of my favorite in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says to his followers, come to me. You know this one? This is so beautiful. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Anybody want rest for your soul? (laughs) For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see the contrast between our Lord Jesus Christ and these religious leaders. There's two commands in, in these verses. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about these because these have been so profoundly helpful to me. His first command is come to me. Come to me. Cry out to me. Share your pain with me. Share your disappointment with me. Come to me. Don't, don't, just, don't just keep it all inside and, and kind of begin to die emotionally and spiritually. No, no. Come to me. Come to me. Cry out to me. Because I'm going to give you rest. You see the other command? Learn from me. Learn from me. See, one is, just tell me you need me. I'm here. The other is, look at my life because there's things I model that'll give you rest. Do you see what he says? Uh, Learn from me. This next phrase is so important. For I am gentle and humble of heart. How does that help you to find peace and rest? When you are gentle and humble of heart, you're not a control freak, okay? You're not about doing it on your own. Everything is not, I need to solve this problem myself. When you are gentle and humble, you submit. You submit. You begin to understand that so many things in our lives are beyond our control. Aren't most of the things that just stress you out and freak you out things that you really can't control but you, you, you live out worst-case scenario in your own mind, and you just are so freaked out about it. When you're gentle and humble of heart, you don't do that. You give it to God. You give it to him. You submit. 
to him and you say, Lord, I trust you. I mean, I know I need to do some things and I know I need to do my part, but I've been doing way too much more than my part. I've been trying to do a lot of your part. It's not working. It is not working. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke is talking about, think of a a team of oxen. You know, the yoke, the big yoke that would go so that you could drive that team in a certain direction. We get to be yoked with Jesus. And anything I've read about yoking oxen back in that day is there was a lead oxen and the other one would follow. It's like, Jesus, I'll let you lead, okay? You're so much better at it than me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, our Lord is so distinctly different than these scribes, these Pharisees who oppressed people because they thought they were superior and they wanted to control and they wanted to oppress the multitudes so that they could be elevated in their own eyes. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, you come to me, I'll give you rest. That is so beautiful. I'm so grateful that that's our Savior. Amen? I am so grateful. That's who he is. He goes on, look at verse 5. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets in the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. By the way, let me talk to you about the word rabbi because we know that term because people call Jesus rabbi and most people think, and in many cases, it, it's, it's used as a synonym for teacher. But the word rabbi initially was used, here's what it meant, my great one. My great one. Who didn't want to be called my great one? <laughs> Hopefully you don't. They did. That's kind of his point. They do everything to be done They do everything to be seen by people. Okay, I got to make a confession. I am an Enneagram 3. So those of you that know Enneagrams say, I thought so. No, well, let me tell you what I mean by that. I am busted. Um, Let me tell you what I mean by that. That's why this is so convicting. Everything they do, they do for people to see. By the way, for those of you that say Enneagram, what? Enneagram. So there's nine different personality types. It's one of those temperament or personality type things. And here's some of the characteristics of a three. Threes tend to uh, be achievement-oriented, pursue success at all costs, are about their image, and love to be the center of attention. That's why I say busted. Busted. I blame some of that on being a middle child, but I can't blame too much of it on that. Here's my point. The Pharisees must have been Enneagram threes. That's so discouraging. That's terrible to me. But anyway, my point is this, that uh, what he is addressing here with them is you're all about image. You're all about what you want people to see. And Jesus is quite um, against that. So here's my third word, the word that I think Jesus really rails against. It's the word visibility. Just the word visibility. 
They want to be seen for their spirituality and for their prominence. That's the point. Their visibility. You know, if you look over at the Sermon on the Mount, fantastic portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember how many times Jesus talks about having a religion that is not for the purpose of being seen by men, whether it's fasting. He says, when you fast, look as good as you can. He says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet. He says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand just gave. You know, there's this whole idea of spirituality is an issue of the heart. It's not some image that you create. And Jesus is just going after these religious leaders because they were all about their image. They were all about what they were presenting to others in terms of image. And Jesus gets very angry with that. Let me talk about this word phylacteries. Phylacteries were little leather boxes, probably about this big. And they had straps on them, leather straps. And so what the religious leaders of that day would do, some do it today still, is they would take some small scrolls from Scripture, and there'd be, a, there'd be about four, typically it was four very small little passages from the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Exodus, and it would be placed into this little leather box, and they would use the straps, and they would tie it around their head, kind of like a headband, and they would also tie some on their left arm. Well, you were supposed to do that during prayer. Originally, the intent was, that's something you do when you pray. Well, they said, well, I want people to know how pious I am, how spiritual I am. So many of them wore those all the time. When he talks about the tassels, this is referring to the prayer robe or the prayer shawl, it was often called. It had tassels on it. But their thing was to have the longest tassels. My tassels are longer than yours. You know, why? Because I'm so much more spiritual. I'm so much more of a prayer than you is kind of our Lord's point. Do you see what he's talking about? You do everything to be seen. It's all about image. It's all about appearing spiritual. It's a religion of being visible. It's not related to your heart. And Jesus just so condemns that, as he did with them. Talks about how they love the places of honor, the important seats. VIP section, that's where I'm going to always go. Just pompous. And I think Jesus thought it was nauseating, to be frank. It's very upsetting to him. Fierce Jesus got pretty riled up. Let me continue verse 8. It says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. There's the great equalizer of the Christian life. We're brothers and sisters. That's what we are. That's how we should act. That's how we should view each other. We're brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on on earth father, for you have one father, capital F, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. I don't believe, scholars don't believe that Jesus is saying, you don't have a father, you don't have a teacher, or, or that kind of thing. He's saying, ultimately, the one who gets the glory is the ultimate father and teacher and instructor. That's the father and the son. Don't they make this about you. At best, you may be somewhat of a 
flawed vessel that God occasionally uses, but ultimately it is not about you. That's his point. It is not. I, I need to wrap up. So 11 and 12, it's just his summary statement. It's his contrast statement from how he has been just blasting these religious leaders. And he says in verse 11, the, uh, the greatest among you will be your servant. Okay? For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, God delights in that. They'll be exalted. Pride and arrogance, self-promotion, hypocrisy were and still are, I believe, major hot buttons to Jesus. And my dear friends, to the degree that those live in our hearts and in our lives unchecked, then fierce Jesus wants us to change too. You know, when, when, I, when I thought about um, talking about fierce Jesus Christmas season, and my mind, like yours, does go to the baby, the incarnation of our Lord, it struck me, oh, I think I understand why Jesus hated pride so much. Why Jesus exalted humility so often and so beautifully. It's because he modeled it. He lived it. He embodied humility. I'm wrapping up with Psalm, excuse me, I want to wrap up with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Please just, you can look up on the screen, but just let these words sink in. Some of the most incredible verses in the Bible. In your relationships, Apostle Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus was so and is so um, angry about our arrogance and our pride because he knows how humility is what leads to God's honor and God's blessing and even God's exaltation. He is our model, my friends. He is our example. He also said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, right, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As I wrap up, I just want to remind you, though, too, that fierce Jesus 
is also forgiving Jesus. Aren't you glad? That fierce Jesus is also redeeming Jesus. That fierce Jesus is always compassionate Jesus. And so maybe this morning in this Christmas season, as we reflect on God becoming flesh, becoming a baby, a helpless baby in the manger, we'll remember that God honors humility, not hypocrisy, humility, not pride and arrogance. And maybe this morning the Lord, through the Spirit of God, wants to just point his finger in some areas of of my life, of your life, and say it's time to confess this. It's time to give this up. It's time to experience the cleansing power of our exalted Savior who wants you to walk in humility and grace just as he did. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, wow, what a savior, what a savior. So merciful, so humble, so compassionate, and yet willing to speak strong, strong truth, not just to the religious leaders of that day, but to you and me, to me, to us. As your heads are bowed this morning, I wonder, my friend, if there's just some business you need to do with Jesus. You look at you look at your relationships, maybe some of the more important relationships, your own spouse, children, siblings, whatever it might be, and you have been um, angry and arrogant and offensive. And the Lord wants that to change. Maybe you need to confess that to him. Maybe my friends this morning, you just, you really are kind of a, a control freak by your own admission. Always having to be in charge. Always having to call the shots. Always trying to get your way. The Lord wants that to change in your life, I believe. So as we, in just a few moments, partake of the bread and the cup through communion, it's so clear in Scripture that our hearts are to be as right as they can be through confession and even repentance before we partake of that bread and cup. And so, my dear, dear brother and sister in Christ, there's a need to take a few moments and confess any of these things we've talked about or other things maybe that the Holy Spirit has pointed out You can do that in your own heart right now. We can talk to God through our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. Thanks, Jesus. You're amazing. We want to worship you with with clean and and sincere hearts. Help us to humble ourselves and receive your grace and your forgiveness. For we pray in your name. Amen.